everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to see you. This just feels good, doesn't it? This feels right. Look around. This is amazing, isn't it? There's full balcony, full uh, lower level. This is good. This is good stuff. So good to, good to have you with, uh, this morning. Uh, we are starting a brand new series. So if this is your first time here with us, this is a great time to start. We're starting a brand new series. We're talking about signs, signs from, from John, the beloved, okay? And uh, we're, we're looking at these, these signs and what John's intentions were for these, for these particular signs. So what's interesting is, is that when Jesus died, when he died, that his closest companions believed that he was dead. They believed that he was dead. They believed, here's what they believed, they believed that he died for speaking too boldly, for making audacious claims is the reason why he died. Also, they believed that when he died, that he probably wasn't the Messiah, that he wasn't the Christ, that he wasn't the, the Savior like they thought that he was. They also believed that when he died, that his talk of a, of a new kingdom, a kingdom of heaven, that that talk was over. It was over. That's what they believed. We know that they believed that because all the gospel writers wrote that, that no one was there on the third day when Jesus did rise from the grave. There was no one there. I mean, I don't know about you, but like if I tell my mom that something's gonna happen or I'm gonna do something and, and for her to be at a, somewhere, my, my mom will be there. Jesus's mother was not there at the tomb. Can you imagine? His own mother wasn't even there waiting for him to rise. You see, then something changed. Something changed changed in them. As a matter of fact, everything changed for them. And the reason why something changed and the reason why everything changed is because they saw him alive. They saw him alive. And so they went from being cowards, his closest companions. His own mother wasn't even at the tomb. They went from being cowards and, and going to hide to now they're boldly proclaiming. They're boldly proclaiming a, a, a message and their message was the same. It, was, uh, it didn't matter who it was. Their message was, was the same and their message was simple. Their message was, was this. They were boldly proclaiming that he died. Then they would say, now he's alive. And then they would say, and we've seen him. So he was, they would say, this was their message. He died, now he's alive, and we've seen him. And then they would have a fourth point. Trust in him. Trust in him. Trust in him. You see, their belief when he died was, this is over. Their faith when he died was, there's no kingdom. Their, their belief when he died was, well, we're going to just move on with our life. Whatever happened at that time that we spent with him for those three and a half years, those were good times. God did some amazing things, but that time is done and we're going to try to move on with our life. That's what they believed until, until they saw him alive. 
You see, when we think about faith and belief, so take out the fact that when we think about faith or belief, we automatically associate it with our, our religion, you know, or Christianity or any other religion or faith. We think about in, in these terms. Uh, but faith and, or belief synonymous with each other, those things are things that we uh, say every single day. Like somebody can believe in, I don't know, the Big Bang Theory, or somebody can believe in evolution. So you, you have a belief in things, whether it's what, you, what we agree with or not. You and I all have a belief, or we all have faith in certain things. Because non-religious, you know, involved, here's what faith or belief is. It's, number one, it's evidence of what you've seen. So you have a basis of faith or belief based on the evidence of what you've seen in your own life. And so you d decide, this is what I believe or this is what I put my faith in based on evidence of what you've seen. Or, or it's the confident or it's the credible sources of what you've heard. It's the confidence that you have in credible sources of what you've heard. Heard. So, like, for example, growing up, you, a teacher told you, you know, that eight times eight was 64, right? You know, and you're like, you didn't go home and stack eight cups, you know, side, you know, vertical and horizontal. You didn't do that. You just like, okay, somebody credible told me that eight times eight is, is 64, okay? So, as a matter of fact, the Bible defines for us faith or belief. Here's what the Bible says about it. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is where we sort of get our definition of faith. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. So, it, so the Bible says, listen, just like ordinary life, when you believe in something, it's, either, it's about evidence. It's evidence that you've seen for yourself, or it's confidence. It's the certainty of, of what somebody credible has told you and you believe them. And so therefore you formulate a faith or a belief in that. And, and the Bible defines it that way too. It's, it's not like, you know, some, you know, random thing, something that we pull out of air or something that we just sort of try to muster up inside of us. The Bible says that faith is, is a certainty. It's a certainty. Now, I don't know about you, but this is when I start to pay attention, especially over what's been going on over the last couple of years in our culture and in our world. Like, and if I hear something about certainty in the uncertain times, this is when I sort of listen, right? This is when I perk up. This is when I go, wait, in the times of uncertainty, the Bible is telling us that, that we can have certainty. We can have certainty. And, and it says it's, it's the certainty of things hoped for. In other words, the things that we hope for, a better life, a better, you know, a, a solution, a, a better way, a, a better place. You know, those are the things that we hope for. It's a proof of the things that we don't see. And so John, John the Apostle, he gives us, he gives us as, a re, as readers, he gives us certainty. He gives us proof of something that you can believe in. You can believe in. Now, what do we know about John? John was an apostle, but he was also a fisherman. We know from the Bible that he was the, a son of Zebedee. 
that he was also called the son of, of thunder. And the reason why he was probably called the son of thunder is because on one occasion early on when he was following Jesus, they came to a Samaritan town. They mistreated Jesus and, and, and John and, and the other guys that were with him. And, and John speaks up to Jesus and says, hey, should we just call down fire from heaven and burn up this city? <laughs> That's what he said. And Jesus is going like, relax, John, relax. Like, it's okay. It's okay. That's not what we're about here. So I think that's probably where they got the nickname, Son of Thunder. Jesus is like, we're going to call you the Son of Thunder, man, because you're intense, right? You're intense. Like, chill out. Like, he was also the beloved. He was uh, in John, in John's gospel. Um, it was interesting. He would say, to the, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, he never, he never described, he wrote his name down. He would always describe himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus loved. And then, and he was a fast runner. Did you know that about John? He was a fast runner. We'll get to that in a second. And he was a writer. He was a writer. If, you were, if you've been with us, we've been looking at um, the book of Revelation. John wrote that. John wrote the gospel of John. He wrote first, second, third. John, John was a, he was a, a writer. So he went from a fisherman. He was a son. He was a, he was a little intense. And then he saw, softened. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He softened when he was like known as the beloved. He was a fast runner and he was a writer. And John, in his writings that were different than all the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John in his writings, he wanted to make sure that he showed proof of who Jesus is. And so John gives us seven signs seven signs. John says, listen, I want to give you these, these, these events that took place, okay? I want to give you these supernatural events that took place to, to try to convince you of that Jesus is, and you can put your faith in, and your belief in that Jesus, and you can trust him with your life. He, John says, listen, this is the proof. This is the evidence. This is what I want you to put your faith in, that you're putting your faith in the right guy if you're putting your faith in Jesus. Now, the thing about these signs were this, was this, that they were supernatural acts of Jesus, and they were not Jesus showing off. That's not what they were about. They, the supernatural acts of Jesus were not Jesus or not him showing off. That's not what these were about. But instead, instead, but were signs pointing to Jesus as a savior, as a savior. John, at the end of his writing, at the end of his book, says this in John 20, 30. Here's what he says. So then, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. John's like, they, he did so many. I, I could only write a few, and I'm just going to give. I'm going to give you seven that should be convincing proof. It should be certainty that you put your faith in the right person. Verse 31. But these have been written. These these seven signs he's he's referring to. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's why John wrote this, wrote his gospel. He's like, I want you, I want you to put your faith, I want you to put your belief in the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son 
of God. And by believing in him, you can have life. Life in his name. So here was John's formula. John's formula formula was this. Number one, he says events. There was events that took place. There were events. There were signs. Okay. Okay. He calls them signs and not miracles. Why is that important? Because he didn't want the miracle to distract from the person who was performing the miracle. Are you with me? He called them signs because he didn't want the miracle to be at the forefront. He didn't want the miracle to be the thing that people were... He wanted people to see who was the one performing the signs. So he, he said there was events that happened. There were signs. There was evidence. Then there was belief. And then there was trust in him. That's John's formula. Now... This builds, this builds. All seven signs were building blocks, building blocks. So by the time John, at the end of his gospel, gets to the empty tomb, here's what it says in John 28. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, so John's describing himself. He's like, I outran Peter. Like he even talks about that. You should read John's gospel. It's hilarious. He's like, we both were running to the tomb and I outran Peter and I got to the tomb first. This is what John, and John did it probably just as like, he knew that people would read it and they knew Peter and they knew John and they would just get a chuckle out of it. You know, and that's probably what John's intentions were. He wasn't bragging. He wasn't being arrogant. He was being funny. Okay, and so he says, and the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered then and he saw and believed. He saw it was empty and he believed. Why? Because belief is built. Just like you heard, you you build trust, right? You have to build trust. Belief is built. Belief is built. Now, Here's the first sign, okay? The first sign is this, that Jesus turned water into wine. And it's the only one that rhymes, okay? There's the first sign, all right? Here it is, John 2, 11. This is the beginning of his signs. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Why did he do that? So the John, John's saying, this is the beginning. This is the first sign. This is the beginning of his signs that Jesus did in, the Can- in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so here we are. Verse one, John two. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, weddings were an event, Okay, you think your wedding is an event? You should do a, be a part of a wedding in the first century. These were week-long celebrations. These were like planning that you have no idea, like kind of planning that these things take. They were week-long. I mean, can you imagine trying to work that into your schedule? I mean, forget about a Saturday ruined. It's a whole week ruined. <laughs> no offense. No offense. I love you. Ask me to do your weddings. I'd be happy to. I'm no, it's no problem at all. I got a, there's a couple couples in here that are getting, that I'm get to do their wedding and I'm pumped about it. Really am. It's not a Saturday ruin. Just kidding. Okay. All right. 
But these are week-long celebrations. That's where they were. They were week-long. Can you imagine that? I mean, I remember when I got married, it was August 2nd, and uh, we, we jumped on the date. We got the date. I started calling my buddies and saying, hey, I'm getting married August 2nd. I want you to be in my wedding. And then one of my buddies, one of my friends that I, that I grew up with calls me and goes, hey, is your wedding for August 2nd, is that set? Is that what it's, is that what it's, I go, yeah. I go, yeah, we're, we booked some things. He goes, well, my fiance wants to get married in August 2nd. And I was like, and she, he's like, you know, I, you know, do you think you can change it? I'm like, do you think you can change it? And he's like, she doesn't want to change it. And I go, my wife, she doesn't want, my fiance doesn't want to change it either. Like, so you can imagine that. I mean, so like my friends, like our friends together, like they went to our wedding at, you know, for the first half and then went to his wedding for the second half. And we weren't even at each other's wedding. We're still friends today, believe it or not. Okay. So can you imagine this, the planning of this? So this, there's a wedding, week-long celebration. It was in Cana. Jesus' mother was there. She must have had some sort of part, maybe some sort of part in the catering. Verse 2. And both Jesus and his disciples in, uh, were invited to the wedding. Now, this is such a great idea, right? Inviting Jesus into your life. Let me just say, when, when Jesus is invited in, this is like last week when we were talking about Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, right? And Jesus is going, come on, come on, open the door, open the door, let me in. This is the best thing that you can do is you can invite Jesus into your life. Because when you invite Jesus into your life, everything changes. When you invite Jesus into the room of your life, I'm telling you, amazing things will take place. So from the very practical standpoint here, if you leave here and you forget everything that I just said, I'm just, here's what I want you to remember. Invite Jesus into your life. Anybody in here invite Jesus into their life and glad you did? Anybody? Okay, all right. We got a, we're a hand-raising crowd. I'm, I'm hoping for claps, but whatever. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I, I know. We'll co I'll coach you as we go through. Okay. And they invited him in. Good idea, right? So then verse 3, when the wine ran out, uh-oh, party foul, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, you have no idea. Socially, you're, you can imagine. Socially, this is a problem. Socially, this is a problem. Not only is it socially a problem, legally, it's a problem. Legally. Can you imagine? The bride's family, if this happens, the bride's family can sue the groom's family over this. Yeah. Like this is a, so this is a social problem. This is a legal problem. This is a financial problem. This is what's going on here. And that's why Jesus's mother is going, uh, Jesus, they have no wine. Look at Jesus' response to her. And when Jesus said to her, what business do you have with me? <laughs> what? Jesus, like, what business do you have with me? And then look what he says. Woman. Whoa. You're like, this is sassy Jesus. This is, I don't know this Jesus. This is, Jesus is mad about wine running out. No, um. 
He's, he's going, now, th now this is important because this is now beginning to change the dynamic. And, and Jesus wasn't being insulting. He wasn't, you know, referring to his mother as a woman. You know, if I talk to my mom that way, I'm still going to get slapped, right? Like, I'm, I'm still, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Woman, you know, this, this was, this was in, the, in, that, in that time, this meant like ma'am or my lady. Like he was, he, was, he was being polite about it, but it, it just doesn't sound, doesn't translate that way. But he was. And this changed, this, is, this was the start. This was the start of changing the dynamic now. That Jesus was no longer dependent on his mother but his mother is now going to be dependent on him as her need for a savior. You see it? He, no, she, he was no longer dependent on her. She, as a sinner, was now depending on him. Depending on him. And then he, that's why he responds this way. Woman, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then Jesus, we don't know how, when or how would this happen, but Jesus was now saying, my life is now in the hands of my heavenly father and whatever his will is, that's what it will be. That's what I'll do. Regardless of what my earthly mother wants, my hands are now in the will of my heavenly father. And Jesus in that moment got confirmation from his heavenly father that he's supposed to do something about this because his hour has now begun. Here's what it says next, verse six. Now there were six stone water pots standing there for the Jewish custom of purification containing two or three measures each, okay? Verse seven. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, okay? Now, water, the water pots, these purifications, they were, they were a Jewish custom. There were six of them. There was a Jewish custom. They were used for uh, purification. They, they would use them for, for hand washing mostly. Some were, some were, they were used for like full body washings, but for the most part, they were used, you know, for, for hand washing. It was, it was just a part of their custom, a part of, a part of what they were about as, as Jews and their religion and their faith. And so it, it was, it, that was what they were used for. So Jesus says, I want you to take these jars that are used for purification, for hand washing. He says, I want you to do, I want you to fill these up. And so they did, they filled it, they filled them up. And then it says in verse eight, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. Verse nine. Now, when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine. Now, at this point, you're going, it's almost like as a matter of fact, right? How John writes it. You know why? Because at this point, by the time John records this and people are reading John's book, they've already heard about what Jesus did at the wedding of Cana. It was already out there. The, his reputation was already out there. People going, Jesus has done some amazing things. And John's saying, these are signs to point so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he's your Savior, and you need him. 
And so by the time John writes this, people already know what happened. It's like, it's like telling a joke and you don't even have to give the punchline because everybody knows what it is. This is why John wrote it that way. He tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. They knew who it was from. And the head waiter called the groom. Look what he says, verse 10. Head waiter calls the groom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the guests are drunk, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So, a couple observations in the story, and then we'll go home. Okay? Number one, build your belief on the true vine and not on the temporal wine. Build your trust or build your faith or build your belief on the true vine and not on any other temporal wine. Jesus said, where do we get that from? Jesus said this in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, here's what we know about this life. This life is temporary, right? Here's what you, and I'm gonna keep pounding this drum for as long as God has me here. This world is not our home. You hear me? It's not our home. We live in a world of, that, is, that, is, that fades. We live in a world that decays. We live in a world that dies. And we know this because we look in the mirror every day. We know this. We know this because our clothes fade. You remember, I remember when I first got my, my iPhone. Anybody remember getting your, like, your phone? And I was, remember like, I was scared to like take it out of the box for the first time. You remember this? And it was like, oh, I don't want to, you know, and, and the guy made me feel guilty about not getting the insurance on it. He's like, I've seen people walk out of the store and drop their phone and crack their screen. And I'm like, I don't want, I'm not going to get the insurance. But I was nervous. And now, I don't care. Like, now I treat it whatever. Like, I got paint on it. I drop it all the time. Like, I just hope the screen doesn't crack. Why? Because things fade. Our, our clothes fade. Our, um, years ago, we got our first, and I was, I was the guy that said, I'll never get a minivan. I'll never drive a minivan. I'm, ne I'm not going to get, I don't care how many kids. I'll have 15 kids. We're not getting a minivan. We'll drive separate if we need to. Like, I'm not. And before I knew it, I was in a dealership buying a minivan. Anybody there? Dads? Anybody? Like, yeah, I was in a dealership and I remember we got our first minivan, brand new 2007 minivan. I mean, we were like, I'm like, oh, this is nice. You know, this is spacious. It's practical. You know, I had to convince myself of why I'm now driving a minivan, you know, as a, as a dad, you know. And so I remember just like being real careful, real nervous, real, all this and that. Now, this is now that minivan, beautiful minivan. Here's... <laughs> There's a lot of rust happening. Keep scrolling pictures. There's the air, a lot of this and a lot of that. You know, a little rust happening. You know, here's some more. Like every time I now close the back gate, rust just falls down on the driveway. <laughs> Anybody get to that? And the reason why I, I, I have to drive this right now, the reason why I'm driving this right now, because my new minivan needs to be fixed. <laughs> my 2019 
Dodge Caravan needs work. And now I'm back driving this piece of junk. We live in a world of temporal things. Things fade, things decay, things die. That's how it works. That's how world we live in. Listen, don't put your faith in those temporary wines. You with me? Don't put your faith in them. The, the wine will run out. And if your trust and your faith is on the wine of your, your habits, if, it's on the, if your faith and belief and trust is on the wine of your hobbies, your career, your finances, your relationships, if your trust and belief and faith is hinged on things in this world that are only temporary, it will disappoint. It will disappoint. I've said this a hundred thousand times. I make for a terrible God. My spot, my wife makes for a terrible God. My kids make for terrible gods. They always are disappointing. But Jesus does not and will not disappoint. You put your faith, you build your faith on the true vine named Jesus and not on the temporal wine of this world because things die here. And before you know it, before you know it, you find yourself going, boy, that just didn't satisfy that didn't fulfill. That didn't meet the need. And maybe you are here right now and you're going, man, I've put my faith in something else. I've put my trust into someone else. And you're disappointed. And the reason is because that's not where you're supposed to build your belief system. You build your belief system on Jesus. And it's, you know, oftentimes for me, what my wine is are the things that I whine about. <laughs> now I'm giving you some cheese with this wine. <laughs> it's the things that I whine about are the things that I've made more important than the true vine. Put your faith, put your belief in him. The second observation from this story. Build your belief on internal transformation and not external modification. Build your belief on internal transformation and not on external modification. Here's what Mark says in Mark 7, 15. There's nothing outside the person which can defile him if it goes into him. But the thing, so again, going back to the, the purification, the water pots that Jesus had them fill with water, those were external mod modifications. Those were external things that they thought would purify them. But they, they didn't work that, they don't work that way. It doesn't work that way with God. 
okay? There's nothing outside the person which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which come out of the person are what defile the person. That's, the, Jesus is saying, listen, what I'm interested is what's going on inside of you, not you trying to modify your outside. You can fool me, you can fool your spouse, you can fool your kids, you can fool your friends that you are close with God, but you can't fool God. This was the issue that Jesus had with this, a religious group known as the Pharisees. The, Jesus, they, on the outside, the external, they, they, they portrayed and projected that they had it all together spiritually. But Jesus said, you are empty inside. You are a white sepulcher. You are, you are empty inside. You are far from God because why? Because God's interested in an internal transformation. That's what God's interested in. He's in, interested in what he wants to do from the inside out. And when you allow God to do an internal transformation work, you will be changed forever. It's like you will go from water to wine. And that happens from the inside out. Gosh, that's the story of the gospel. It's the, it's the story of redemption. What Jesus did at that wedding is that he redeemed it. He redeemed it. It looked over. It looked bleak. It looked finished. It looked embarrassing. It looked financially like going to be a problem. But Jesus came in and he sanctified it. Jesus came into the room and he redeemed it. This is what Jesus wants to do in our life. He wants us to experience an internal transformation. It's called sanctification. It's sanctification. He wants you to realize who you really are, who he created you to be. He wants you to discover that and you'll begin to change from the inside out. Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth. And here's what he said. He says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. He says, the sexually immoral, the, the abuser, the verbal abusers, the greedy. He, he, he talks about like, you know, those who are thieves and, and liars. He says, those will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he makes the statement, such were some of you. You were sexually immoral. You were greedy. You were a liar. You were a thief. You were, all, and he lists all these different sins. He says, but such were some of you. Then he says this, but now you are washed. You are sanctified and you are justified by the name of Jesus. Anybody have a checkered past? Anybody in the room? You can, you can raise your hand. You don't have to clap this time. You can raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody have a checkered pass? Like there's people, and I know, there's people in this room that fall into the category of liars and thieves and sexually immoral and, and uh, abusive verbally and, and greedy. There, there's people that fall in this room. But listen, aren't you glad 
that you can put your faith in a Jesus who can redeem that and turn that around? Anybody have a testimony of the fact that you were once dead in your trespasses and now you are alive in Christ? Now, it doesn't mean that you're a finished product. We're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. But what Jesus wants to do is that Jesus wants to change you. Just like he went, changed the water into wine. He wants to change you from the inside out. So when people taste your life, they taste not the water of what it used to be, but the wine of what Jesus is doing transformationally in your life. This is what God can do through you. So in a few weeks, we're gonna host an Easter egg hunt. We're gonna host an Easter egg hunt. Now, there's some pictures. They're gonna scroll through some pictures to show you some of the things that we get, to, we get to be a part of. And the Easter egg hunt is gonna be at our community center. It's got this beautiful field and it's huge. And we're gonna load up as many eggs as we possibly can on this field. Now, here's what I get. Listen, pay, listen, listen, no judgment. I get it, I understand. But I wanna try to convince you of something. I want you to try to understand why we as a church host an Easter egg hunt, okay? All right. So when the kids come on the Saturday before Easter, okay, we hope, I hope, I pray that we collectively come together and put this together and we're gonna ask you to take bags of eggshells home and to fill those bags of eggshells in. Now listen, here's what I already know. Just like Christmas, just like our calendar, just like our planets, just like our months of the year, they all originate from pagan origin. Okay, Christmas, Easter, your, the, the days of the week, uh, the months of the year, all of them originate from pagan origin, okay? I, I know that. I know that. But what we hope to do is that we hope to take something that was intended for evil or intended to be pagan and to redeem that into something that is intended to show the love of Jesus, okay? So I know I know, I know. I don't, we're not trying to offend, but we're trying to take something. So when the kids show up and there's gonna be these eggs out on the field, okay? If they showed up and they gathered as many eggs as they possibly can gather and they opened up these eggs and they found it empty, would they be happy or would they be sad? It would be sad. Because they're not, they're not coming for the external eggshell. No. They're coming for the candy. I'll put a Snickers in there. <laughs> they're coming for the what's inside of the egg. Right? They're not, they're like, if, if they came empty egg, they're disappointed. If they came and showed up and gathered a bunch of eggs and found what was on the inside, now they're pumped. I am so glad. 
I am so glad that Jesus came and, and decided, you know what? Even though they came from pagan origin, I'm still going to redeem them. Anybody come from pagan origin? I know that I did. That's where we came from. But Jesus came and said, you know what? I'm not going to ignore the fact of where they started because I know that I can do a transformational work from the inside out. And what Jesus cares about is the same things that the kids who show up on that Easter egg hunt care about. Jesus cares about what's going on on the inside. That's what he cares about. And so when you're filling the eggs... I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the opportunity that you can be a part of and taking something that came from Pagan, which by the way, is your story and mine. And I want you to think God can do a work through them too. Just like God did a work through me. And he didn't ignore that I was pagan. Instead, he said, I'm going to do a transformational work, not externally, but internally. And I got to tell you, I remember showing up to preach at a church in Waterford a few years ago. And I got done preaching and a couple people that I recognized walked up to me and they said, are you Chris Doak? And I said, well, it depends who's asking. They said, are you Chris Doak? Like you went to Waterford Kettering High School, Chris Doak? I said, yeah. And you should have, their look on their face was like, and you're like, I know you back in 1990s. And you're doing this? I said, yeah. They said, God can do any miracle, can he? Yeah. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. I could tell you story after story after story of my life and my decisions, and they sitting over here can tell you story after story of my life and decisions that I made that I'm not proud of. And if you heard them, you would not show up any here anymore. But I got news for you. I put my faith and a person who can do miracles, who can change things, who turns things from water into wine. And my life is forever changed because of that. And that can be true for you. It's true for you. And many of you in this room, it is true for you. It is. And we say this a lot around here, but this is one of our mantras. Is that life, life is better following Jesus and following Jesus makes you better at life. And no matter how far you've been gone, Jesus is saying, listen, I've got the best wine to the end when you let me do a transformational work in your life. You say, okay, what do I do? What do I do? I want this. I, I don't want to put my, my faith in the temporal 
things, wines of this world. I want to put my faith in the true vine of Jesus. I, 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 don't, I don't want to, I want to be transformed from the inside out. I, I don't want to tr- continue to try to figure out how to, you know, behavior modifications. I, I don't want to do that anymore. What do I do? Follow the lessons from Jesus's mother. Because look what she says. His mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he tells you, do it. Listen, whatever Jesus is telling you, do it. Do it. And you'll put your belief and you'll begin to build your belief on the true vine and not any longer on the disappointing temporary wines. And you'll experience a transformation from the inside out when it comes to your marriage, with your kids, with your finances, with your career, any aspect of your life, Jesus says, I want to do a great work. And in order for that to happen, in order for miracles to take place in your life, do what he says. Do what he says. Do what he says. Do what he says. I'm telling you, everything, everything will change for you. Father, ah, many of us are still just working through the mess of our brokenness and our paganness and our sin and our struggles and we're, but yet we know that you're working out, working out our salvation and you've begun a good work you, and you're going to see it completed and, and Lord, it's when it's in that process that we truly discover the goodness and the beauty and the, how amazing it is to follow you. It just just makes us better at life it's the best decision we can make it's just it's like you take water and you turn it into wine it's what you want to do in and through us in order for that to happen god you you give us your word you give us your word to just to 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 read and apply to read and apply just do it and then it will begin the process of becoming more and more like you We thank you for your love and kindness. We thank you for this journey together to see what you want to do in and through us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here with us. If you need prayer, I'm right here. I'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, come on up. I'll pray with you. I'd love to do that.